Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, conversations designed to help you as you live, learn, and lead through pain. And now the host of the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, Davey Blackburn. Hello and welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. I'm your host, Davey Blackburn. Joining me, Emily Schiltz, my co-host, Emily. How are you? Good. Good. It's so good to see you. Good to see you as well. You've had a good couple of weeks, I'm guessing. Yep. Everything's smooth. Yeah. No complaints here. Everything's smooth. (laughs) Everything's good. Everything's Gucci. Yeah. Well, I never understood that phrase, everything's Gucci. Yeah, me neither. And also Gucci Mane. Oh, Gucci Mane. Like people say that too, like, oh, that's Gucci Mane. That's Gucci Mane. Is that supposed to be like, oh, that's That's good good man or good bro? Or is that just like the clothing brand? The clothing. It's like the Gucci, like your your high end, your top. Yeah. Someone help us. We have no idea what we're talking about. Rate and review the podcast (laughs) and tell us what Gucci Mane. Yeah. One star. You got this wrong. We like, yeah. We like. (laughs) No, no, don't give the one star. That would be bad. But we we like. We we interact with teenagers. You especially, you're in student ministry a lot. You're yeah. in that world a lot. Lean worship yeah. as well as on Sundays. Uh-huh. By the way, Emily has Emily Schiltz has an incredible, incredible, not just voice, but presence of leading worship. I'm putting you on the spot. You're turning yeah, red right I now. I know. And one day I'm going to make you sing on the podcast. You're just going to lead worship for us on the podcast. That'd yeah, be so fun. I can beatbox too. <laughs> <laughs> but we hear these phrases and it's like, what are you talking about? By the time I come to understanding of what the phrases are, I then use them on and a Sunday. And students tell you. And they're already expired. <laughs> yeah, like that the phrase isn't cool is no anymore. longer cool. And it's yeah. like, oh, well, somebody please inform me on this stuff. Why I don't know if we, we can talk about this, but what oh, did you no. say on stage that one time? And then literally a student texted you afterwards <laughs> and said that isn't cool anymore. So I said the phrase <laughs> Netflix and chill. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. You remember that? Yeah. Because I, that's a, this it was a that. different story than I was Oh, thinking you were thinking of. of a different story. Oh, uh-huh. oops. <laughs> <laughs> so we can tell this happens multiple I times. I did not know what Netflix and chill meant. <laughs> and so I literally thought it meant like watching Netflix and chilling. Which is absolutely not, what, not it what it means. not what it means. And no. you should not even go look it up. Yeah, as to don't what it do means. That. It's just, but, but many of you know what it means. And mm-hmm. so you can understand the humor of as I'm up there preaching and I use this phrase <laughs> arbitrarily. Really casually, yeah. Thinking that it's just meaning, hey, you're just Netflix and chill. I think mm-hmm. I use it in the context of like, almost like, you know, don't waste your life. Like, Netflix you know, stop and chilling. Netflix and chilling. Is it, that is a, a way to waste your life, though. <laughs> I guess. Depends on the context. Yeah. I don't know. But it, <laughs> I just remember up front, the teenagers just kind of giving this like, mm, look, like, mm, uh-uh, and just shaking their head. <laughs> That's not, I don't think he knows what that means. No. Oh, my gosh. Everybody right now is just probably losing their mind as they listen to our hope through their headphones <laughs> right now. Yeah, a little weird uh, twist going on. Listen, today. listen. We just have sometimes, I'm going to tell you this, sometimes you just have to be willing to laugh at yourself. Yes, it's true. <laughs> you just, humor is some of the best medicine there mm-hmm. is. You can't take yourself too seriously. You know what? One of the things that I try to think about is, is I want to take Jesus really seriously and not take myself so seriously. That's good. You know, sometimes we do. We take ourselves very, we, we flip that around oftentimes. Mm-hmm. We don't take our walk with Jesus very seriously, but we take ourselves way too seriously and beat ourselves up over things and ends yeah. up letting shame and guilt and all kinds of stuff creep in. It's like, man, sometimes just like, wow, I'm human. Mm-hmm. I'm going to make a mistake. It's it's going to be all Gucci. Don't worry. <laughs> you <laughs> yeah. know? Yep. So, but anyways, we have an incredible interview with a couple for this episode. I'm yeah. so excited about this. Daniel 
and Brittany Brooker. Okay. And uh, just a cool story. He lost his wife. I'm, uh, I'm going to let them clarify the dates on this, but a month later, she lost her husband. Mm. It was in 2015. I think it was September, August, August, September, something like that, which November, November 2015 is when we lost Amanda. So yeah. very close. And um, they have since, uh, actually l- last year in 2017, they met each other and got married mm-hmm. and they call each other. This is so cute because she, okay, I'm going to try to get this right. He had two kids. She had three. Okay. They joined this family now. So five kids. Wow. And they call each other the Brooker Bunch. That's really cute. Isn't it the coolest thing ever? Yeah. I mean, and many of you guys, part of our Nothing is Wasted community, many, many of you guys know about their story because I see it as you guys are, you know, uh, interacting with us. Mm-hmm. I wrote a blog post about just being able to spend some time with them. And my time in Atlanta with um, Daniel and Brittany were just like, it was just amazing. And I was like, yeah. I've got to figure out a way to get this time around the kitchen island right here on our podcast because I think it would benefit so many people. And so I'm really excited about this interview. Yeah. I am too. Yeah. Before we hop in, um, real quick, just want to uh, ask you guys if you would take a little bit of time um, to rate and review this podcast. Um, One of the most encouraging ways that we found that we're hearing from you is by your reviews. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of you are sharing your stories about um, how this has impacted your life or how you've had an opportunity to share the gospel with someone else because of this podcast, Mm -hmm. like inadvertently almost like, hey, listen to this because it's going to help you in your pain. But also I could just share the gospel with this person. So um, those stories are really encouraging to us, um, gives us more momentum and more drive as Mm -hmm. we continue to record these podcasts. But also what that does is it allows other people um, to get their hands on this podcast as well. So um, if you could take just a couple seconds, we would love it um, so that this ministry can get spread further. Um, If you rate and review the podcast, share your story, and you can do that on whatever podcast medium you're listening to this on. Yeah. So you could put like five stars and say, this podcast is on fleek. Yo. <laughs> We're still talking think, about I think words that, was that the phrase. we don't know. I think, yeah. I, I think, think people, maybe that was the phrase where I was people like, people have said that before. I dropped on fleek on, on, on stage and mm-hmm. I think someone was like, yo, that's not cool anymore. Fire. That's what it was. It was something flame. flame. And then they texted you and they said, flame, flame. is lame. Flame is lame, dude. <laughs> that's what it was. I was like, oh, it's, it's flame or fire i don't remember yeah and literally the point text of was it, flame is lame point of it is don't try to be young when you're old like me i guess yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh okay let's just let's just stop while we're ahead or yep. while we're slightly behind yeah let's jump into this interview because it's an awesome one <laughs> Daniel, Brittany, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. Great to have you. Hey, great to be here, man. Yeah, we're so excited. Man, I just uh, keep thinking about our conversation around the kitchen table, and I'm so excited that we got to make an addition to that conversation from our time in Atlanta. We're, we also have Christy hey. joining us as well. <laughs> so it's going to be this fun conversation between the four of us where we're sitting around talking about life and loss and parenting and pretty much everything in between. And so, man, I would like for you guys, Daniel, Brittany, and you might have to take take each your own time. I want you to kind of tell me your story. Your story is quite incredible, both of you guys, each your, your each of your stories individually and then how God brought you guys together. But if you guys would, just take some time and tell the listener 
um, a, a bit about your story. Yeah, Brittany's over here nudging me like, go first. So I said, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, um, just uh, you know, taking it back, uh, back to when I was 15, is that whole uh, you know, summer camp love uh, type situation. I was a, a very uh, just a socially awkward homeschool kid kind of finding my way <laughs> in summer camp, you know, trying to find my group of friends. And I remember, remember being in the, uh, in the basketball gym playing ball. And uh, really just filling my role as a sixth man, you know, just crushing that role very well. And uh, <laughs> this girl named Lindsay walked in and just kind of that, you know, white doves flying up around her moment, slow motion, and uh, saw this girl and I had to meet her. I, even in my awkwardness, I went up and introduced myself, something that she never remembered, but it's something I never forgot. So I was like, okay, mm. I don't know what that means. But it was a um, uh, just a fast forward, just kept pursuing this girl and finally got her attention. She was the popular girl. I was the just the blend-in kid. And um, through a long-distance relationship, we lived four hours apart, uh, ended up falling in love and, and ended up pursuing her. And uh, so that looked like a long process, about nine years between meeting her wow. and actually marrying her, spoiler alert. And uh, so uh, it got to the point where we're gonna get married. And uh, uh, just the, uh, the turning point was at 19, she was diagnosed with cancer, and uh, out of nowhere, healthy girl, no no previous things going on, and um, so through that, it really it actually brought us closer together. Uh, we were kind of on the rocks, you know. These you know teenage love stories, you kind of just don't know what you're doing. You just want your way, and uh, cancer actually helped us figure out what was up and down, and uh, and where we yeah. stood in our faith with God. So that looked like us kind of trusting God through a really difficult situation. Uh, it came. It, it cancer showed up twice, 19 and 21 for her, uh, and uh, so during those times, we learned a lot about each other and about our relationship with the Lord. And, it, and fast forward, chemo, uh, and then after chemo, we got married, and uh, and kind of moved forward in our relationship, thinking, hey, the worst is behind us. All is good, and uh, and so through that, really felt a call to adoption because uh, through the cancer, Lindsay had to have a hysterectomy. And so we dealt with a lot of, you know, whys and uh, what, you know, what is this all about when we desire to have a family together and then realize, wait, that may look different than what we imagined. And so through that, just realized that adoption was the, the journey that we were called to and we pursued that and, um, and, and adopted two incredible kids through that process, a little boy named Ethan and a little girl named Aubrey. And so we kind of felt like, hey, that dream we have of family is back. Hey, here we go. We've got the two kids that we had prayed for, and you know everything is going to be fine. And uh, kind of moved through that process of raising children and figuring out how to be a parent. And um, and through that, uh, even after five years of being cancer-free, it showed back up. And uh, so we started dealing with what cancer looks like in a family setting instead of a dating setting, uh, with kids involved, and and trying to figure out what that even looks like. And so. We uh, we just kind of scrambled, just started saying, "All right, God, you know, what's this all about, and what's your uh, what's your plan for this, and how do we respond?" And so we did. Uh, we started just fighting with everything we had, and that journey was a long process over maybe a two year period of time. And so through that two years, uh, it meant, meant her moving uh, back to her hometown, which is four hours from where we were taking the kids with her, me trying to keep a job and taking care of her through providing you know, insurance and all those things that are real life behind the scenes, things you have to do 
And uh, so eight months of being separated and just together on the weekends uh, and her progressively getting worse. Um, so what started as ovarian cancer was something that eventually kind of took over her body. You didn't know what it was anymore. It was just, it was just mm-hmm. attacking her. And so through that, just as a husband and as a father trying to figure out how to rescue your family, how to rescue your wife uh, from something that was beyond your control. And uh, so that looked like just getting on my face before God and saying, hey, I don't know what this is about, but help me do my part. Uh, Being there for Lindsay, attempting to be there for the kids, um, probably not doing that the best that I could. And, And so just surviving and through that, learning a lot about your faith and what that looks like in trials. Uh, it's one thing to be a Christian on Sunday. It's another to be a Christian uh, when your life is literally hanging in the balance and when doctors are telling you there's nothing else they can do. Those conversations you never expected to be on the receiving end of, uh, you find yourself sitting in a hospital room with the doctor saying those very words. And uh, so kind of went through that experience of, all right, there is no hope outside of Jesus. And we, we knew that, but there is a there's no doubt all that's been removed when the doctors say we're done. Uh, it completely realize uh, you rely on Jesus for that. And so we did that. And, um, and through a, a couple of hazy months, I uh, found myself um, fighting for my wife's life, literally. Uh, that meant CPR. That meant ambulance rides. And uh, ultimately finding myself uh, in this ER room, um, kneeling beside her, her bed uh, with all these, you know, doctors and paramedics around whispering my my final goodbyes. Um, and you never know what that's wow. going to sound like. You never planned for that. But ultimately, it looked like um, thanking her for fighting the way she did for our family. Th- thank you. Thanking her for uh, showing Jesus to the people around her, even in spite of what she was going through. And just being the, the literal just witness that you always pray you would be. Uh, in the testimony, she was that. And so I just thanked her and said, don't worry about the kids, I've got them, and you've done everything for us, and it's okay. And um, finding myself in a place of uh, literally the moment of the most intense grief that I'd ever experienced, the overwhelming emotion that comes with death. I'd never been that close to it. And also experiencing comfort, in a way I'd never felt either because, um, you know, me and Brittany talk about this a lot, but talking about the presence of heaven, mm. it, you know, I just, I, I don't know if I just grew up thinking, okay, you know, when you die, you just go to heaven. But it, the only way I can explain it is heaven came down to get her. And mm. in that room, not only did I lose my wife in the, in the sense of having to say goodbye to her, but also experienced the, the presence of heaven in a way that was, it gave more comfort and more reassurance than any other moment in my life. And even though I said goodbye to the one I love more than anything, I, I experienced something that I, that just met me where I was and was able to say, all right, mm-hmm. I'm going to have to deal with this. But at the same time, there's no doubt in where she is. There's no doubt in where uh, I'm going to go as well. And so walking out of that ER saying, God, I have nothing. And you have to be everything for me. You are all I have. And to be a father and to survive what's happening, uh, I've, I've got to lean on you for everything. And so walking through that, that was, that was where the journey of grief began. And not just saying I believe in God and not just saying, um, you know, you're the answer, but living that out in every breath 
uh, in walking through that. So that was kind of the the, the way I found myself uh, as a widower, something I never thought I'd ever be called or considered, and and uh, walking through a place of just complete trust in God. Wow, man! Hey, I want to I want to stop right there before we kind of move forward in the story, and you, I want you to expound a little bit on that idea of like the presence of heaven. You know, it's something that you've thought about a lot. I know, especially with. You know, and as I've heard you des- you describe it before, this very palpable feeling that you had there in the hospital room. Can you explain that a little bit more? Try to unpack that a little bit. What what exactly did that feel like? You know, because I think to someone who it was probably a very foreign feeling to you in that moment. You know, probably the last thing you expected to feel comfort in this moment of loss, but can, just to, just see if you can explain that a little bit more yeah. for someone who is maybe at a loss for understanding that. Absolutely. Well, when we, when we got to the ER, you know, there's basically at the house, I just brought Lindsay back home um, a few hours before all this took place. And so leading into this ER room was literally my wife stopped breathing in front of me and doing CPR and paramedics showing up rushing to the hospital in the ambulance and really doing CPR for an hour with no response. And so in my heart, I'm praying out to God from an ER room. This is the emotion building up to it and just saying, God, what is going on? This, this cannot be my reality. Mm-hmm. And just a place of disbelief. And mm-hmm. finally, the, the doctor runs back into the, the waiting room and he says, she's back, she's back, get in here. And I remember sprinting down the hall and taking that left into the ER room. And you know, when you're connected to someone in your in your soul, you know, you know what's going on. Yeah. And one when I ran in, I knew that she was there and she was breathing on her own and she was there. But also I knew I, I didn't have long with her. And something you mm-hmm. can't explain, you just know. And so when I ran in there, I knew what I had in front of me, and that was to say the words I'd almost been too scared to even acknowledge in conversations with her in the months leading up to that of the what if. And mm. so facing my biggest fears of saying, I can't fix this, but I'm okay with you. I'm okay with where you're going. I'm I'm thankful for the assurance of that and just thanking her and saying goodbye in ways that you just didn't think you would say. And so the emotion of the trauma, the disbelief, I have to confront my biggest fear of saying goodbye and all of that hitting you at the same time. And literally, as I, as I said, it's okay, I love you. It, it was so palpable in the sense of, it felt, it felt as if the, there's a, you know, here's the best way I can describe it. If you have your father, if you remember as a kid, your father would lay his hand on your shoulder and just the confidence mm-hmm. and the comfort that brings of a father's hand on your shoulder, the weight of that, yeah, the comfort yeah. it brings was that times wow. A million, in the sense of the entire room, there's a weight of comfort uh, in that room. Not only to where I had no choice but to literally. And keep in mind, I'm a Baptist boy through and through, born and raised, and taught emotions. Yeah. Okay, but in that moment, just saying, I have to lift my hands and just surrender and worship. The there's such a presence mm-hmm. of God in heaven that all I could do was take a step back and lift my hands and say, God, you are worthy of all my praise. And in just taking in the room of what was happening, the doctors and paramedics who are exposed to death every day, this is what they live, mm-hmm. seeing them cry, seeing them move to emotion, 
not because of yeah. what had happened, but what was in the room and the presence was yeah, something yeah. so transforming in my faith and confirming uh, that it just uh, it carried me through with something that I, st- I clung to moving forward. So a weight of comfort and a reassurance of what God, uh, what God is to you in your life and how he shows up in the most broken moments of your life. Mm. Man, that's amazing. Wow. Yeah. I, I, as you're describing this, man, I've, I've felt this very similar feeling when I, we were standing beside Amanda's bedside and we didn't know what else to do. And all we could do was just respond and worship, which seems so contrary yeah. to what you would think you would be responding. And, right. you know, you're like in the middle of losing, you know, your best friend, your soulmate in the middle of this loss that's unbearable. I mean, the pain that you were about to go through of processing this loss was going to be, it's going to be unbearable. You don't know that at the moment, but it is just going to wreck you. It's going to completely gut you. But in that moment, all you can do is worship. You feel this complete out of control, but this complete assurance that, that something else, someone else much bigger than you is in control of this whole thing. And I remember looking at, um, someone in our hospital room and just said, Hey, will you just start singing for us? Just start, just lead us in worship. And, um, it just seemed like a, the only appropriate response. And so I kind of liken it to those moments that you, you're in church and you just, you feel this just like, man, all I can do is like, I can't, I can't express myself in any other way. You know, the music is going, the worship, the atmosphere is incredible. Just like, wow, this something I've got to express myself in worship. I've got to just give myself fully into this. And it's exactly the same kind of thing that you're feeling there. And it's amazing that the presence of God invokes that in us. Like that's the only appropriate response. It's just, it's, it's an incredible thing that even in the midst of the fire of, in the trial of death, it still causes this response to come up in us because of how awesome, literally awesome God is. Absolutely. And so, man, what a, what a, what a powerful thing. That's incredible. Okay. So, so you're, you're there faced with losing your wife, Lindsay, and now stepping into being a single dad to these two adopted kids, right? right? And trying to survive. And, um, and you did for a while, but you didn't just survive. You started doing some ministry for other folks who had lost spouses, especially ministry to widowers. And uh, it, it, it described that a little bit. Why did you step into that? What was the, because a lot of people, they go into their own place, right? They kind of start looking uh, internally. They start focusing on their own pain. They start focusing on what's going on in their life. And yet you had this other mission that kind of rose up inside of you. What was the decision-making process of that? Why did you step into that? Yeah, great question. Um, to be honest with you, it came out of a frustration because, mm. you know, when you go through loss, here comes everybody trying to make it better or just to comfort you. And so that's what everyone did. I mean, I, it, I was overwhelmed at the outpouring of love from my, my community, from the people that were close, that knew Lindsay, loved Lindsay, loved us as a family. And so through that was so much comfort and so much reassurance uh, that, you know, it, it makes you feel good that, you know, the person you loved made an impact on people's lives or touched lives in a way, and they're responding, you know, in a way to say, hey, we love her too. We love y'all too. And so that was so comforting. But one of the things that were just frustrating to me was that not one single guy who had walked through grief stepped up and said, and unless they were like 80 years old or 
or more, you know, and they had like <laughs> 50, 60 years with their wife and, you know, like that kind of thing. Yeah. Not a situation where it was, you know, just, you know, death at an early age or tragedy or unexpected grief and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so I always just had a frustration with the fact that not one single guy came up and said, Daniel, look, I know how this feels. You know, I've got young kids. I'm trying to, you know, raise on my own or my wife died at this age. Mm-hmm. And I just want to help you through this. Like, here's some of the things I learned along the way. And so really out of, out of a place of frustration, once I went through the just the darkest days of grief and just actually started getting out again and uh, mm. breathing and, and living and, and trying to figure out what was heads, you know, heads and tails, uh, I got to this place where I was just crying out to God. And I said, you know, why? Why is this my life? Why have you called me to grief? Why have you called me to raise two children that I'm not qualified to raise on my own. Like, what in the world? Mm. And I just, I remember it being in my car. You know, I, don't, I don't know if everybody's emotions come out in their car when music is playing, but mine do. I'm like, yeah. crank that radio up. <laughs> that's an amazing song. And, you know, that's where I have, like, my, my biggest meetings with God, I feel like. And so I was in my car one night just writing, just crying out, God, why? Why in the world is this what you've called me to? And <laughs> clearly, clearly I heard in reply, it's not why, it's what, what. And so I said, well, God, mm. what do you want from me? What is this? What do I do with this? And the answer was help others the way, comfort others the way I've comforted you. You know, you've gone through grief wow. in a way that not a, lot of, not a lot of guys go through. I'm sure there's a community, obviously, but I wasn't aware of how many were going through it. And I had, without asking, I'd been given a gift in a sense to speak into lives I never would have had the place to speak into before. And so the answer was, if you're, if you're frustrated with not being comforted in a specific way, then why don't you do something about it, Daniel? Stop complaining and crying about mm-hmm. it and take a step and do something. And so that looked like within, within you know, days of saying yes to that, messages started coming in of, hey, I know this guy that lost his wife. Hey, I have a friend who lost his spouse. And the opportunity started showing up. And all I had to do was say yes and start having conversations and not trying to give them scripture verses or are trying to, you know, pray healing on it, but just be there mm-hmm. and let them vent, let them cry or whatever they're doing and be there in a way that I know that I could relate to. Uh, it just started the process of healing for me because as I knew there was a community out there of guys going through that, it helped both of us, me, me encouraging them yeah. at different stages. And that just continued on to where now there's several, several guys that started in grief that are now remarried. Uh, some that are healing mm. and in different stages. You see that, just that uh, God's story, and you see people growing and healing and moving through grief instead of just being completely stuck in that same place, which is is dangerous uh, in any emotion. If you stay in one emotion too long, mm. it starts it starts looking uh, uh, different in your life. It changes your life and where you are. So helping them to mm. take steps and to move in a process where they're feeling uh, just gave so much life to me and purpose. That's really cool. So you started like doing some writing even. Like I, I recall, you know, some blog posts and some writing and and uh, this was, now let, let me get the, the time the timeline straight. When you lost okay. your wife, it was, when was that? It was August? Uh, August 28th, yeah. August 28th, 2015, right? Right. And um, And you wrote a blog post that ended up, uh, touching this gal who had just lost her husband. She's sitting right next to you, by the way, in this conversation. I want you to explain that, but but first, 
before we get that, let's get Brittany your side of the story, um, and 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 let's get kind of some of the backstory of of the loss and the tragedy that you walked through as well. Yeah. So um, his wife passed away in August, and my husband um, in September of 2015. We had three kids under the age of three, so we were in crazy wow. land. <laughs> Um, I had a newborn at the time and a one and a half year old and an almost three year old and was just married to the love of my life. We had this beautiful love story. Um, I was the girl that never dated and just waited for God to bring me the right person and just prayed for him so much. And so when God brought this man in my life, I just knew you say yes forever. And we literally got on a stage on our wedding day. And part of our vows was I promise to be faithful to you through life's pleasures and through life's pressures. And mm. honestly, when you say that, you you think life's pressures look like um, maybe a difficult or a loss of job or, you know, the normal things that we would think in our life are normal trials. And so, you know, fast forward to just a crazy having kids back to back and learning to enjoy life even when it's crazy. And I would tell them all the time, I'm so thankful I get to do life with you. I'm exhausted, but it's been my dream to always be mm. a wife and a mother. And um So one day he called me on his way home from work and he discipled lots of young men. And so he met with one of the the young men that night and he said, was just challenging him about a different, a couple of different things. And they were talking about just the end times. And my husband just was like, you know what, whenever God is ready for me, I'm ready. And that's the part of walking with God is that you are always ready um, and listening to his voice and his, his, um, and conviction of the Holy Spirit and just walking in the Spirit. And so, anyways, that night we put all of our babies to bed, and um, he checked on them like he always did. And um, we talked about a lot of things that night. And, you know, a crazy thing about marriage, and all of us get that, is a lot of marriage is being faithful um, in the mundane, you know, because yeah. not every day mm-hmm. are these huge, crazy, God, amazing conversations. And That night was one of those conversations that I went to bed thinking I will never forget talking about eternity with him and marriage. And we were talking about the gift of the gospel and how we don't deserve life, but God has given it to us Mm. freely. And so I went to bed that night and he prayed with me like he always did. And um, the next morning, as you can imagine, we didn't sleep much (laughs) because he had so many babies. And uh, he went (laughs) early. He's like, you know, I'm just going to go early to work since I'm up. So he went to work and I got my three little guys ready to go to Bible study. And when we were at Bible study, uh, the question was asked, why do we study Revelation? Because that's where we were. And I said, you know, to me, I study prophecy because it gives me confidence to trust God no matter what happens in my life. And literally mm-hmm. seconds later, my phone rang. And like any good Bible study girl, I ignored it the first time. <laughs> and mm-hmm. then the second time it rang, I felt like the Holy Spirit told me, bring it something with Patrick. So I answered it, and it was his boss. And he said, hey, has Patrick been sick or anything? He fell. You know, he's on the way to the hospital. We're going to come get you. Um, and I was like, no, he's a perfectly healthy 30-year-old man. I just saw him this morning. And so I uh, waited in the rain for literally an hour for this, you know, police escort to get me because he was in law enforcement. And um, I just remember... Uh, you know, those moments where God is not just whispering something in your heart, He's screaming it in your heart and mm-hmm. mind where there's nothing else you can think about. And um, I remember just being there in the rain and God saying, the peace that passes all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. And yeah. so I got in the, the vehicle on the way to the hospital, which was another hour drive. 
And um, one of the agents looked at me and said, I'm so sorry. We don't know what happened. And I told her, I said, you know, we can trust God no matter what happens. I know that he's in control of this because obviously we weren't. I mean, he's perfectly healthy. I don't know what's going on. And so we got in front of the hospital and I just ran as fast as I could um, into the the room. And um, it wasn't even a room. It was just a hallway full of people with sorrow written all over their faces and they sat me down and they said, Brittany, we're so sorry, but Patrick died. Um, his heart just stopped beating and there's no explanation and there's nothing we can figure out that could happen. Um, and I said, the Lord gives and takes away. He's so good. And I started singing a song mm-hmm. of um, precious Lord, take my hand, leave me on, help me stay. And mm-hmm. I'm tired. I'm weak. I'm alone. And um, in that moment at the age of 25, I became a widow with three little boys mm-hmm are now fatherless in um, the reality of eternity just became so real as you know the shock of death came over you in a way that I mean you mm-hmm. there's no way you can fathom that moment would ever happen and so that began a, a long journey of grief because grief is a long journey and it's a yeah. lifetime of a, a journey and so walking through that and walking through okay now I'm a widow at 25 like I literally just went to a beloved wife with a strong, awesome marriage and these boys that had this amazing daddy to doing life on my own. And so it's like a new identity of I'm a single mom now and I'm a widow. And how do I do this? How do I tell my boys that their dad died? Like what in the Mm. world? God, you've called me to suffering so great. And so I remember having to sit them down and explain it to them and try to explain that God was not going to leave us. Didn't mean that you were without a father because God was going to be your father. And God always steps mm. up in the places in our lives that have those holes. And so, yeah. and it, having to explain it, you know, as babies, they don't get it. And that night, my one and a half year old just kept crying for daddy over and over again. It's just the most gut wrenching thing. And so, having to, to hold him, and I remember just singing, Because He Lives, I Can Face Tomorrow. Because He Lives, mm. you know, we. We can live because God holds the future and just proclaiming that. And then I know you guys get this, but when death occurs in your life or and it may not be an actual death, it may be a death of a dream or death of a hope or death of something of Mm. what you imagine life to look like. Really, you go and you start thinking of what could we have done different? What happened in our lives? And Mm. you just everything starts replaying and. I honestly could say that night I had no regrets and it's not because our life was perfect. I'm a sinner and I struggle and we struggled, but God was so gracious that every time there was sin, he would convict us and bring us back in right relationship with him mm. and with each other. And so when he died, there was no regrets. There was just, God, you were gracious. The last thing I said to my husband was, you look so handsome in that suit. I hope you have a bit wonderful day. I love you. Like that's Jesus. Yeah. And so when you walk through that, you just realize the sovereignty of God, even in the little things of how gracious he was that that happened at that moment. And so that really began my journey um, to where we are now. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Um, there's two different nuances with each of your stories. And before we jump into how God brought the two of you together, spoiler alert, <laughs> um, I want to dive into that because, you know, Brittany, you experienced sudden loss. Yes. Like, I mean, immediate, like one moment, your, your life is one way. The next moment, it's completely turned upside down. And, and death has a way of doing that no matter what. It doesn't matter how long the process is. You know, once that actual 
the, the feet of death actually happens. It turns your life upside down. So I know, Daniel, you experienced that too, but yours, yours was kind of over a, a drawn-out process. Right. I'm sure you guys have talked about the difference between wrestling and processing through those mm-hmm. uh, those different emotions together because of how, how different those and yet similar your losses are. Talk to me a little bit about that. What have you guys, how, how have you guys um, discussed and, and processed through that? Yeah, I'd say one of the things, and I'm just <clears throat> being real. This is just like a real emotion, yeah. but I tell him Good, all the this time. Is, this is the yeah. transparent podcast. Exactly. <laughs> I tell him all the time how jealous I am of him in that mm. he had those moments with Lindsay to serve her and pray over her and love her so well. And I, I would have given anything to hold my husband's hand in the hospital and pray over him and have those moments where you could say, I love you and take, you know, a tape of him for my kids, if, you know, a video or have him write a note. We have nothing for my kids. You know, you don't expect mm-hmm. to die at 30. You know, all those things that I feel like are a privilege, even though it's hard and gut-wrenching to w- watch someone you love die. But I always... I always just tell him like what a gift that was too, because it is a blessing to be able to love your person really well. And it's not that I didn't love my husband well, but in those moments of death, I think I've dealt with a lot of guilt because I wasn't there when he died. Mm. I wasn't there holding his hand. He was by himself. And um, so you go in the, the your mind and you think, if I was there, he wouldn't have died alone. Or if I was there, would I have known something was going on? And so you just have to trust the sovereignty of God with that and know, God, you were gracious and there was a reason why I wasn't there. And it happened when he was at work instead of in my home where my kids would have all been there to watch it. And then you would have dealt with the guilt of, I couldn't have done anything. You know, it was God's timing. And so that's for my side of just the shocking and the different way of processing mine. I was like waking up the next day, like, are you kidding me? There's no way. Like in the middle of the night, I woke up like mm. trying to find my husband and think, oh my word, I'll never have a little girl with blue eyes like him. Like we're like, mm. this is, it was just like the shock of it was just overwhelming. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just going off of what you're saying, Brittany, we actually have a family friend who his wife passed from cancer and she was able to make videos um, for her kids and for him. And he was telling me this. And all of a sudden, I'm getting really emotional and just like feeling for Weston. Like mm-hmm. if I were to pass and Natalia didn't even have like that last video for me, that would be devastating. And I was even talking to Davey like, hey, like, can we make something of, you know, Amanda videos yeah. that she did have while he was here and like letters or, you know, different um, journal things that she had and, and pictures. And But I also was thinking, too, like even with that this friend, it was just still like the hardest thing for him. So either way, Mm. it was just like, okay, like, you know, she still left journals. She still left little pieces, Mm -hmm. you know, and I'm sure with him, he still left little pieces. But that was even just a gut-wrenching thing too, to know Weston didn't get a goodbye and Davey didn't get a goodbye, Mm. you know? Mm. Yes, which I think is the basis of it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. um, What about you, Daniel? What? um, Yeah, it it was the honor and privilege of my life to show my love in that way, to say, I look back and there was not one thing I regretted. Like I, I gave my everything, and and not only in that I gave more yeah. than what I even had because God gives you strength in those moments. And so there was days and nights when you didn't get any sleep in really months, 
and you knew that you were not running on adrenaline. It was running on what Jesus gave you to, to provide and take care of your family the way you're called to. And so there was reassurance in the strength I received through that. But uh, the, the only the only struggle, I guess, with a long, drawn-out process that cancer usually brings is did I make the right decisions on her behalf? Did I help her make the right medical mm. choices? Was chemo the right choice? Was the healthy option was that done well? You know, did we do everything we could mm. in that? So it's the, did I advise and counsel her right on that, even though I didn't regret yeah. the way I cared for her? And so that was kind of a, that was kind of a, a tough, and it's been a tough thing is, all right, you know, because she, you know, did chemo the first time it showed up, and then the lab, once the kids were there, she's like, I want to do the healthy option, and I want to try that way, which was working uh, until it didn't. And so those things are kind of you replay. If you allow yourself to go there, you can do that. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's what me and Brittany and we've talked about that topic mm-hmm. a lot. A lot. And just uh, just yeah. the differences is. But the bottom line is, you know, even though there's different ways you reach grief, uh, once you're faced with it and you're, you're submerged in that grief, then there's those choices. That's yeah. what we've talked about even more. Is what do you do now when you're when you're in that place yeah. mm-hmm. of no return of now? How do we handle where we are? And that's probably taken the the majority of our conversations um, from there, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think Brittany, you know, you talked, you alluded to the fact that you feel guilt, and certainly I've had to wrestle with that as mm-hmm. well. Of just thinking about all kinds of things, like, man, what if I had locked the front door, or what if I had set the alarm when I left, or what if you know I had been there? Could I have protected her? Could I have defended her from this? And um, you know. As you were talking, Daniel, about your time with with Lindsay in the hospital, I remember when I first was allowed to see Amanda back in the hospital room. That was um, that that in that breaking down moment of seeing her like that. I just I just kind of f- fell on top of her and I just sobbed and yeah. and yelled, "I'm I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I wasn't there. I'm so sorry. I wasn't there." And I was I'm not sure if she heard me or not. I'm not sure if she was actually aware at all, you know, as she was unconscious there in the hospital bed, but I felt this overwhelming guilt. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I remember wrestling with that for a long time and trying to process through that a long time, especially asking the Lord, why, why was I not there? I would have gladly given my life so that she and Weston could continue to live together and, and, our, and, our, and she could have a little Evie and they could be a family. And I would gladly have laid down my life. Why could I not have been there? And I wrestled through that so much. And I remember the Lord just speaking to my heart in in such a way that only the Lord can, and and just reminding me that um, that that Amanda walked through some serious fire in the last forty five minutes of her life, but one of the best ways that I can express love to her and be um, that defender to her now on the other side of things is to continue to carry her story Absolutely. and continue to help people and minister to people through that. And I'll never forget that moment where he said, hey, this is what I have for you to do yeah. now. And this is the way that you continue to show her that, that love, um, even when you can't tangibly do it. And it was in spaces where, man, I felt like, like all of that love that I felt had no outlet whatsoever. And so it was just kind of sitting there and festering inside of my body, even becoming physically right. sick mm-hmm. because everything just was so pent up and the grief and all of that emotion. And, um, and I began to feel that release of just going, okay, this is the cross that I'm called mm-hmm. to carry now for the rest of my life. And that's, that's the sacrificial love that I can show her, uh, even on into the rest of my life. Um, 
but but that that wrestling with guilt i'm sure there's so many people that wrestle with the what right. ifs well what if i had just changed this little tiny aspect you know what if i'd been a couple of minutes off or a couple of seconds had been different here or this decision had been different i'm sure that there's so many people that wrestle with that how do you guys process through those things you know Brittany, you mentioned the sovereignty of God, but it, talk to me about the processing of that. Um, how do you trust that God is sovereign when a number one of a number of your decisions, Daniel, a number of your decisions could have altered yeah. it? Maybe you know what what does that look you know, like? I have had to just realize God can move heaven and earth in order to show us His will, and that is all throughout Scripture, and mm. that's so many ways He can make it clear. And my husband was in the heart doctor, um, I think a year and a half prior to this his heart's shutting down and God didn't show us that there was something going on. And Mm. there's so many places that I can look back and be like, God, you didn't reveal it. And he, and you just have to to trust that God knows best. And if God wanted us to know that there was something going on, he would have made it clear. And we were walking with him. It wasn't like we were walking in sin and unable to hear from him. And so I think the biggest thing is having to acknowledge, even if something had changed, the reality is I am here right now and I cannot change my circumstances. Mm. The only thing I can do is change my response That's to right. my circumstances. Yeah. So I can't control yeah, that I'm right. walking through pain, but I can control how I steward the pain I am given. And so... That's how you just have to do if, you know, if I play and use all my time and energy in the what ifs, I can't do what now because I'm always in the past and that doesn't help anybody. You know, even Mm -hmm. if I spend the rest of my life Mm -hmm. trying to figure it out, um, that does not change the fact that I'm still a widow and I still have three boys that have a daddy in heaven. And so for me, I had to say kind of what you and Daniel were talking about of just saying, God, what do you have for me now? And I remember the night my husband passed away, literally crying out to God saying, God, this pain is too painful to be wasted. Do not waste this, God. Do not waste Mm. this. And so with that became a heart of compassion and boldness. And for me, you know, my husband's life changed in an instant, but he was ready to be before God. And so many people, we don't know when our last moments are. And so it gave me a heart for people to know Christ in a deeper, greater way. And not only for people to know the gospel, but for people that have heard the gospel all their lives and are not walking with Jesus. So when they're going through a trial, he's a stranger. He's not the dear friend that we experience and that presence and that comfort. Um, And I desired for people to, to stop living these lukewarm lives where, you know, if their husband passed away, he was a stranger yeah. to them. They weren't working on that relationship or, you know, not caring about their kids or whatever it was. It gives you a heart to say, God, how can you use this trial to uh, ignite a fire in people's hearts for eternity? Because eternity is so real. And part of me is mm-hmm. is in heaven right now because my husband's there and you are one. And so there's a part of you that's always longing for heaven. So God, would you use that and equip me to be able to encourage Mm. people to know that eternity is real and it's so important to live like it is real. Yeah, yeah, that's so good. You guys are both, okay, here's here's the, when the listener needs to understand when you spend time with these two people, you feel so much, the joy of the Lord just absolutely permeates out of both of you guys. But here's what's interesting, and Daniel, I just started making a list of things as you were sharing your story of all the pain in just your short life that you've experienced, right? Cancer, the reality of barrenness, adoption, 
death and then some of the struggle with mm-hmm. with your kids because of their past uh, the adoption and you know we spoke about this before recording the podcast but just the diagnosis of, diagnosis of autism and there's so much pain that sits in your life and yet you're able to exude so much joy talk to me about that how like how in the world because some people could say, well, they, they found love again, and so now that is where their joy is. And certainly, I mean, geez, we can all sit here and say, yes, there's so much joy in that. But you guys were walking in joy in the midst of your fire, not because you found each other. Before you found each other, when you were in the deep, deepest, darkest depths of despair, you were still walking in joy. Please give me some explanation to that because... Maybe the listeners are going, I don't know how, I, there's no way. I'm, I'm in that space and there's no way that I can walk in joy. Yeah. Um, man, the, the best way I can sum it up is, you know, there's this, uh, there's this phrase that you hear a lot, the best is yet to come. And if you tell that to someone mm. who's in a hard place, losing someone they love, whether it's losing the relationship or losing them to death, you know, there's almost an insult it feels like in that comment of the best is yet to come. Like, no, 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 that was right. my best. Mm-hmm. That's what I hinge all my joy on. Like, you just really insulted me there. And so when I heard that phrase after Lindsay died, you know, even though I'd experienced heaven in a way I'd never experienced it before, you know, sometimes if you're not careful, your view kind of gets skewed again. And so I'd gone from my view being to heaven to back to the earth, back, you know, looking in front of me, what's ahead, what's my future look like? And I really struggled with that concept of, you know, what do you mean, what's better than Lindsay? What's better than life we had? And realizing that as long as I'm looking out, I'm looking out at what the future holds, you know, good or bad, and I'm not looking up to heaven, I'm always going to, I'm always going to struggle with that. But as long as I know that I get heaven in the end, Mm -hmm. I get Jesus at the end, that that is the best. And no matter what relationship I had here on earth, the best is yet to come always as a Christian. Mm -hmm. And so I can live with the anticipation and the joy of what comes with that. If I got a glimpse of heaven and I and I haven't even forgotten, I still get chills thinking about that moment. Imagine what it is to be submerged in the presence of God and to be just just fully yeah. uh, in that moment, in that place. And so that's how I feel like I've moved forward as not just a Christian, but someone who, who understands what is to come and saying, God, I trust you with the pain that's in front of me and the brokenness that may still be to come but I know I get you in the end. I get heaven, and I'm excited about that. I actually anticipate being in heaven, not in a creepy way, not in a suicidal way, but in a a way of God. I I get that at the end of my race, and I'm going to run it well. Mm. I'm going to give everything I have to the time I have here on earth because I love people. I love relationships, but now I love the Lord more, and I love what's to come uh, even more so. I'm excited about that. So there's where Mm. I feel like the joy comes from Mm. and knowing what, what I get. That's amazing. That's amazing. I love what you said. Like, you know, so many people spend their time looking in the rearview mirror, looking back yeah. at their past. And then, but at, at the same level, it's just as much of a fault to look forward and put your hope in the future mm-hmm. yeah. without looking up, right? That's right? Without looking up. That's, I mean, that's, that's what's so amazing is our future is in good hands because of him, mm-hmm. not that's right. because of anything that we can fabricate or that we can manipulate or that we can try to, you know, make happen for ourselves. But it's, it's, so if we look up, then every situation we walk into, we can experience joy. And joy is, you know, obviously different than happiness. You can mm-hmm. be in the depths of sorrow and yet at the same time experience peace and joy. Yeah. And that's the conundrum, man. That's the thing that just doesn't make sense unless you're in it. 
Mm-hmm. And unless you have the joy of the Lord wrapped around you and his peace that is, like you said, passes all understanding. It doesn't make sense to you. Mm-hmm. You don't understand it. And so, of course, it doesn't make sense to the world. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. They're going, what? I don't understand how you can walk through this and still have so much joy and have this big, massive... If you ever see Daniel Brooker, you're going to see a massive smile on his face. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense at all. Always. It doesn't make any sense at all to the world. But it's the peace that passes all understanding. We can walk in joy, walk in triumph, even in the midst of our trial. And that's just yeah. an incredible thing. So here's here's the deal. We're, we're out of time for this episode. I knew it was going to happen. <laughs> we're going to have to pick back up for part two of, of this, this particular interview where we're going to talk about how you two met each other, um, how the Lord began to bring some, some other joy back into your life by in such an incredible story. You're not going to want to miss this. The, the way that God wove their stories together is just undeniably the sovereignty of God. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to talk about some other fun stuff, parenting, talking to our kids about loss. <laughs> how do we just yeah. blend families? Oh man, we're about to get into it. So you're not going to want to miss the next episode of this. Uh, but as for now in this episode, thanks so much for listening to Nothing, Nothing Is Wasted podcast. Uh, Christy and I are signing off. Until next time, what's your sign off? What's your famous sign off? Sign off. Why did you fam- look at me like that? I'm like, I don't have Come a on, sign off. On the, on the fly right there. So what am I supposed to, just... to say right there? <laughs> <laughs> oh, we'll catch you guys next time. That was so great. Mm-hmm. Man, and your wife? Yep. Man, she killed the game. <laughs> what did you just say? I said she killed the game. I don't even know. Is that, is that a new one now? Kill, <laughs> killed the game? <laughs> I think I've heard a student oh, say it before. <laughs> All right, someone's going to have to please set us straight. Like, We need help. Please clarify all of these phrases for us because we are trying hard. We're really trying. We're trying to reach the younger generation. Trying to reach the younger generation with the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, and I'm afraid that it's not, it's not, it's not going well. It's not going well. Well, if you've made it this long That's right. um, and dealt with our antics, <laughs> thank you for listening today and hanging yeah. out with us um, and just learning from other people's stories. I think there's something um, really special when we are open-handed enough to sit down and, and truly listen mm-hmm. to someone else's story. So um, thanks for joining us. Um, thanks for continuing on this journey with us as we just continue to grow in our relationships with Jesus as we hear other people's stories. Yeah. Um, if you would like to ask us any questions, if there's anything that we can do to help you in whatever season you're in or um, just walk alongside you um, in whatever you're looking at right now, um, we'd love to hear from you. And you can reach out to us at hello at resonateindy.com. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, as always, we want to thank Sleeping at Last for providing the music. Mm-hmm. You can download all of his music anywhere where music can be downloaded and streamed. iTunes, Spotify, it's awesome stuff. Yeah. Make sure you get it. And thank you so much for joining us for this episode of the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. I cannot wait to hear part two. So make sure you join us for the second part of my interview with Daniel and Brittany Brooker. In fact, go ahead and listen to this teaser before we sign off. One of the things that we have been dealing with is kids grieve in a different timetable than adults. Mm. And a lot of times their hardest part of grief happens 18 months to two years after the event happens. 
this is according to a lot of counselors. And so I think the first thing we had to do is assess where our kids were and figure Mm. out where they are in grief. Are they processing about it? Are they talking about it? Um, What physically are they going on? You know, one of them struggled with looking anybody in the eyes and that's, that's an issue. You know, Mm. that's an emotional issue of, of distrust and, um, some would wake up in the middle of the night crying. And as you talk with them, you, you navigated, they're dealing with fear in the middle of the night of mm. losing one of us or one of us leaving and them saying, you know, my daddy left and he never came back because, you know, he died. And so I think for us, one of the biggest things we had to do was assess where all of our kids were. Mm. And meet them where they are. And so some of them needed more physical touch. Some of them needed more one-on-one time. Some of them needed us to talk through things. Some of them needed more tickles. And so Mm. it's overwhelming and exhausting. Um, But for us, we had to say, God, give us the time and energy to to put into, honestly, five very needy um, kids that just need so much. And, um, there's not enough of us to go around. And so I think one of the things with assessing it, but also something I have to constantly say is God, I'm not enough for them, but you are. Mm -hmm. And so praying and praying that over them, that Jesus is enough for all that we're walking through and turning them to, instead of look for us to fulfill all that, to turn to Jesus and lead them to Jesus. Um, and so that means in the midst of fear, instead of, you know, leading them into fear, um, leading them into victory. And so you're praying over them and praying that God gets the victory over all of this and that we can trust Jesus even when we don't understand. And mommy can't promise that I'm always going to come back, but I can promise that God will always be with you and carry you through whatever's going to go on.